At this time, I will dismiss any children to Children's Church over here to my left and your right. I think most of them have probably... Oh, it's this Sunday. Never mind. The kids get to stay with us. It's exciting. So it is a blessing to be able to have the kids with us, and it's a blessing to have you with us as well. It is a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it's been a blessing working through this current series as we've been focusing so much on the year of Jubilee. It was an actual time in the uh, Jewish calendar where the people would almost hit the reset button. It's almost like starting over, but it was actually more than that. It was a time for the people to draw near to the Lord and to enjoy his presence. And my hope as we have gone through this series, is that you have been able to draw near to the Lord and enjoy his presence as well. Maybe to allow you the opportunity to hit the reset button when it comes to your faith, hit the reset button when it comes to maybe even offering forgiveness and receiving forgiveness as well. The whole passage has been based out of Leviticus chapter 25, and today we will continue with that. There is so much truth that applies to us today within these verses, and I hope that it's been as beneficial to you as it has been to me. Many of you have been to funerals where I have preached, and um, at most of those funerals, I use a similar illustration. I'm actually going to begin with that illustration this morning. Some of y'all have been to so many funerals with me, you could tell the story. And it's okay because there's a lot of truth to this as well. Most of y'all know I have an identical twin brother. As children, we did most everything together. One of those things that we loved to do was to go to a nearby pond where we would fish and we would play. And while at this nearby pond, we would also skip rocks. We got to where we were pretty good at skipping those rocks. If you take a, a thin, flat one, you could probably skip it seven or eight times before it would disappear into the water. If you took one of those big, fat rocks, y'all know what I'm talking about, they would just disappear into the water. They wouldn't skip at all. But regardless, each of the rocks would eventually disappear into the water. But for each of those rocks, although we could no longer see the rocks, we could see the effect of those rocks for a long time after they disappeared. As ripples would go out from the point where they entered the water and they would continue all the way until they reached the edge of the shore. Well, I share that with you today only to point out that there are many things that we do that have the potential to leave ripples in the lives of other people. I'm talking about the realization that each of us will one day be physically long gone from the lives of others, yet there should be something of us that lingers in the lives of those who remain. Let me give you an example. One of the most influential people in my life, especially in my formative years, was a man named Reverend Charles Beach. He passed away more than a decade ago, yet his influence still lingers in my life. I could give you dozens of examples, but I'll just give you one today. Almost every Sunday, and again, some of y'all may know this, and it's okay. Almost every Sunday as a teenager, he would involve me in pastoral visitation. 
he actually, he cheated. That's the way I would say it. Every Sunday, he would look at me and say, hey, do you want to go visit with me? And I would tell him no. Now, he drove a Chrysler LeBaron convertible. He'd say, We'd, we'll ride with the top down. As a teenage boy, if you're going to let him ride in a convertible with the top down, he's going with you. It'd be 32 degrees, and we're right, we got the windows up and the top down out there riding to go to various visits. I never imagined that one day I would be serving as a pastor, but God was using him to prepare me for what I do today. In a manner, you could say that his investment in me left a ripple effect in my life. In another manner, you could say that I am the actual ripple effect of his life. And hopefully I will continue to take those ripples and make ripples in the lives of others moving forward. Well, what kind of ripples are you leaving behind with your life? Those ripples can come through your words of wisdom that are offered to someone who is lost and confused about what tomorrow might bring. Or maybe some type of skill that you're teaching. I talked recently with a coach who shared that he pours into kids now because someone else did the same thing for him when he was growing up. He reflected on the fact that his dad was not around, but coaches invested in him and he wanted to invest in other children now. Or maybe it's something completely different from coaching or teaching. For many, that ripple will be associated with some act of compassion that can never be forgotten. You being there for someone during their most difficult days, you helping somebody during a financial crisis, you choosing to show grace when you had every right to show anger, or you just being a listening ear when everybody else seemed to have something else going on. Well, today's passage deals with compassion, a call to us that we might display that compassion. It is a call to create ripples in the lives of other people as you touch them in the midst of their brokenness. So before I get into the passage, I want to ask you two or three questions. First, who has left a ripple effect in your life? Just think for a moment, who are the people who have shown you such incredible compassion and you know today that you would not be the person you are, you would not be in the place you are today without the ripple effect that came from their life? Maybe it's someone who's still living. Maybe they've long since passed away. What was it that they did that left such a lasting impact on you? And then the follow-up question is this, what are you doing right now to leave a ripple effect in the lives of others? Every one of us ought to be able to answer that question, and if not, maybe it's time to change the situation. Maybe it's time to begin to invest and to show that compassion and that grace to those around us. 
Our passage today is found in Leviticus 25, verses 35 to 38. I want you to listen to it this morning. Some of you have already looked it up, verse 35 through 38. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger, so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. In order for us to leave ripples of compassion in the lives of other people, we must first be able to see the needs of other people. There's a beautiful story that's found in the book of Ruth. It's a story of heartache followed by incredible devotion and then restoration. It's about a woman named Naomi who had two sons, both of whom died prematurely. This is where we see the heartache. Can you imagine having to bury both of your sons? You've only got two. I did a funeral many years ago. I was living up in Delaware. I did a funeral for a gentleman who had been connected to our church, and I was talking with his mother at the funeral. She said, I had five sons, and this is the fifth son to have died. Can you imagine the heartache of knowing that all of your sons have preceded you in death? Can you imagine even how these young women, these daughter-in-laws would have felt? Because these two young men, both of them had brides. They would not only be filled with grief, but fear regarding who would care for their needs in the years to come. Even Naomi would have this fear. It is apparent that she is a widow as well. Naomi then addresses her daughter-in-law as freeing them from any obligation to their marriage vows. You are free to go. You are welcome to go back to your people and to start a new life, start over again. One daughter-in-law chooses to return to her home, but the other one refuses And this is where we see the incredible devotion. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, we see Ruth declaring to her mother-in-law, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there... I will be buried. Talk about devotion. She knows that in choosing this path, she is likely relegating herself to a life of poverty. She'll have no husband to provide for her family needs. Her mother-in-law is already a widow and won't be able to help either. But she is committed to Naomi. It almost seems like a situation where you're alone And I'm alone, but when we're together, neither of us is really alone. So Ruth is devoted to Naomi. 
Well, as they return to Bethlehem, they are prepared to live a beggar's life. And Ruth begins by gleaning from the fields of a man named Boaz. In other words, she waited until his workers had already worked the fields, and she came along behind them, picking up the scraps to be able to feed herself and Naomi. I told you, they have relegated themselves to a life of poverty. Now it is at this point that we begin to see the story of restoration. I mentioned that she is gleaning from the fields of a man named Boaz, but I want you to know why that is so important. And I'm warning you ahead of time, I'm going to be out of order here. But I want you to hear the conversation that occurs between Ruth and Naomi following Ruth's encounter with Boaz. Again, we'll move back into uh, verses a little bit earlier. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, I want you to listen to this. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now what makes this so important is that last phrase. He is one of our guardian redeemers. What does that mean? We know he's a close relative because she said it right before then. Actually, what it means, it comes from Leviticus 25, where we've been studying for the last month in the description of the year of Jubilee. The guardian redeemer is a family member who comes back to redeem the land of a family member or even to redeem the person who has been relegated to some form of slavery. Naomi immediately recognized that the presence of Boaz was no coincidence. It was God's hand of mercy placing Boaz in just the right place to participate in this restoration story. Now, I'm going to cheat here, and I'm going to give you the end of the story before we even get to my first point. Ruth and Boaz end up getting married. And Ruth, this woman who was born a foreigner, receives an incredible blessing from the God of the Hebrews. Glory to God. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Now back to our story, Boaz, upon Boaz, uh, upon Boaz showing Ruth grace before they become a married couple and even intentionally instructing his workers to purposely leave a little extra behind for Ruth. Before he does all that, a conversation between Ruth and Boaz takes place. It's found in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to it. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? In verse 19, Naomi had said to Ruth, Blessed is the man who took notice of you. 
And here in verse 10, Ruth says, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? The first point today is that you, if you are going to meet needs, you have to notice others. You need to see the needs of others. I wish I could tell you that I'm always really good at this, but that's not true. And I wonder why that is. Is it because I am so focused on my own wants and needs sometimes? Is it because I'm just too busy dealing with my own problems and don't have time to deal with the problems of others? I guess sometimes that's probably true as well. But let me tell you that if you are to become the people whom God created us to be, if we are to make the difference that God planned for us, then we must intentionally take notice of the needs of others around us. Know that we would know nothing of Boaz or his story had he not taken notice of Ruth. And know that Jesus' whole story is all about him taking notice of the needs of others around him. Jesus took notice of a man with leprosy. He took notice of a little man who had climbed up into a tree. He took notice of an adulterous woman at the well. Remember, he said, I have to go through Samaria, where he knew he would see this woman. He took notice of all kinds of people in need of healing. And each time he took notice of the needs of others, it led to restoration and hope. I know we're talking about Jesus. Of course, he brought restoration and hope. But we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus. As such, shouldn't we also be bringing restoration and hope to the people around us? So I'm thinking here today that if we want to meet the needs of others, then the first thing we're going to have to do is to see the needs of others. Maybe at some point we need to change our perspective. Instead of merely looking at ourselves and our current situation, look at the people around you and recognize the brokenness that exists so often in their lives. I know that I'm one who at times I have not done that. But I need to see the brokenness of those around us. I'll also add that seeing the needs is not enough. We have to do something about it. In our passage here in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35, we are instructed, instructed that if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, two words to follow, help them. This is the call to compassion. The author of James gives us a hypothetical question that addresses this. James 2, verse 15 and 16, he says, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? What good does it do for you to tell someone, I love you and I'm praying for you, but I'm not going to help you? 
I want you to know, first of all, there is power in prayer. And there is power in knowing that someone loves you. One of the greatest ways to display that is doing something about it. Getting involved, getting involved in the solution. It does nobody any good for you to see the need, but then to do nothing about the need. Boaz saw the need of Naomi and Ruth, and he did something about it. And Jesus saw the needs of all these people, and he did something about it. In fact, the argument could be made that it was Jesus seeing the greatest need of humanity, man's bondage to sin and its consequences that led him to action in the first place, coming to serve as a sacrifice for all of our sins. It is not enough to see the needs of others. We must do something about the needs of others. In Matthew 25, Jesus is giving a glimpse of what the coming judgment of God will be like. In it, he talks about the need to always be ready and for us to be good stewards with what we have been given, something that I actually talked about last week with y'all. But then he brings up a great separation that will take place. Listen to it beginning in verse 31, Matthew 25, verse 31. It's actually a few verses long, but it's important that you hear it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The, the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, I don't think I need to read the rest of this passage to you. You probably have already figured out that what sets the two groups apart, the one from the left and the right, those on the right have already been celebrated because of the compassion that they showed to the least of these. Logic says those on the left did not show the same type of compassion. Now, please don't call me a heretic for what I'm about to say. Instead, listen to all of it before you object. What is so intriguing to me about this passage is that he doesn't separate them based on their faith. He doesn't separate them based on their baptism. He doesn't separate them based on their denominational affiliation. Instead, he separates them based on the compassion which they showed to the least of these. Now, this is what I need you to understand. Your faith still matters. 
In fact, it is only through faith in Jesus Christ that any of us can be saved. However, there are many who will claim to have faith, yet they do not have works. There is no compassion for their brothers and sisters. And I got to tell you, there is something drastically wrong with a Christian faith that does not automatically lead you to works of compassion. Those works of compassion ought to be a natural byproduct of the faith that exists in Christ Jesus. So that's why he can separate based on our works of compassion. Our compassion flows out of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul instructed the Colossians, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It was expected that God's chosen people would be clothed with compassion. I have one more thought regarding this call to actually meet the needs of others. The world will also try to provide compassion and goodness to other people. So this is not some novel idea for us. However, we have something that the world does not have. I'm talking about Jesus. Your goodness, your compassion, your plans will always be inadequate compared to what God can do in and through you. Do you remember the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? It's recorded in all four of the Gospels, but I especially appreciate the way that it's worded in John chapter 6. In verse 5 we read, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I just want to clarify, Jesus knew the answer to the question already. It actually tells us in the very next verse that he asked the question in order to test Philip. Jesus saw the need and immediately sought to remedy the situation. But he asked Philip, as he asked this question of where, the only thing Philip can think of is how. Philip knows that there's no shop close enough to provide for all these people. In fact, he notes that even if there were a Walmart close by, he didn't use the term Walmart, but you get it. Even if there were a Walmart close by, it would take more than six months of wages to pay for it all. We don't have those kinds of resources. But what Philip failed to realize was that they had all the resources they would ever need. Remember, Philip had likely seen Jesus turn water into wine. Philip had likely seen Jesus heal hundreds or even thousands of people already. But all Philip could see was that the problem was too big for him. Then Andrew speaks up, with seemingly useless information. I got a boy over here, he's got five loaves of bread and two fish. But maybe it wasn't just useless information. 
Sure, in the hands of this, this little boy, his bread would only be able to feed a few people. And that would be a very compassionate act. And everybody would look and say, well, he did a good thing. But what if he put that bread and those fish into the hands of Jesus? Could Jesus do something even greater with it than what that boy could ever do on his own? Of course he could. And of course he did. The point is that your act of compassion, whatever it may be, whatever it may look like, becomes something even greater when you put it into the hands of Jesus. I wonder what God could accomplish through your compassion today. Back to our original passage in Leviticus 25, the next thing that I want you to see is that we are to offer compassion for the benefit of others not for our benefit. Listen again to verses 36 and 37. Do not, take in any, do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. So when you see your brother or your sister in need, whatever that may be, you are to help them, but not for your own benefit. They're already broke. They can't make it on their own. You attempting to profit off of their brokenness will only make their poverty more oppressing. You're not doing something so that you'll get something back. Maybe this is more, this is about more than just a way to further ourselves financially. Have you ever come across a brother or sister in need only to help them and then say, now you owe me one? Maybe you haven't said that. Maybe you thought that. I remember a little over a year ago when our septic system went crazy. I told you all about it last, I guess it was January or February. Our septic system went crazy, destroying my entire basement and doing more than $100,000 worth of damage. As the basement was flooding, the last thing you want to do is to ask people for help. It's a pride thing, just to be honest with you, and sometimes I struggle with it. But there were people who heard what was going on, and there were multiple people who showed up, and they helped stop the flooding and to clean up the mess. You're talking about sewage water, and they're walking around trying to mop it up and deal with the ugliness. I could never say thank you enough to those people who helped me in my moment of need, but I never received a bill from any of them. It's because they didn't do it so that they could get something back. They did it because they saw a brother, a family in need. When you help those in need, do it because you care for them, not because you want something in return. There is one other part to this. It's interesting the way this is worded in verse 36. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God. What this means is that as we compassionately meet the needs of others, we do so also for the purpose of pleasing the Lord. This is kind of like our, our parable earlier. Whatever you have done to the least of these, you have also done unto me. 
You may not fear the person that you're helping. Maybe you're not doing it because of the fact that you love them. You're just doing it because it's the right thing. But fear the Lord. If you do this in recognition that God has been good to you, maybe you're no better than the people that you're serving. Fear your God. It does not merely refer to being afraid or scared of his accountability, but rather it is a recognition of our own inadequate standing before him. It is a respect for his greatness and an appreciation for the fact that we are nothing without him. It's interesting because that's where this passage will close today. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. I brought you out of this so that I could be your God. I wonder if the purpose of this statement isn't merely to remind the people that regardless of how good you have it right now, God has already shown you great mercy. I wonder if this isn't one of those reality check statements for the people of Israel. I'm asking you to show mercy, but you've already been on the receiving end of mercy from God. You're no better than the people that you're helping, and they're no worse than you. We sang a song at the very beginning. Again, it wasn't planned, but to God be the glory. What has he taken you through? How has he blessed you? What has he done that you know deep down inside you did not deserve? His mercy is new every morning. He has been good. He has been faithful. I asked you at the beginning of my message who it was that left a ripple effect in your life. I then followed up with the question, what are you doing right now to leave a ripple effect in the lives of others? One of the best ways to honor those who have left ripples in your own life is to now do the same thing for other people. I challenge you to deliver the gift of compassion to somebody around you today, this week. Look for the opportunities to invest in people and to love on them and to show them that there is hope, that Jesus Christ who came and brought you mercy is offering mercy to them as well. You get the opportunity to bring people to hope and restoration. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Act like it. They need it so much. Who knows Maybe one of those individuals looking for compassion in need of compassion today might be one of the very same people sitting in this room with you. Maybe it is you. I want you to know today that God offers you hope and restoration. God wants to see lives changed. He wants to see our moments of brokenness turn into something fantastic. And I want you to know he's the only one who can do that. It's the only one who can take your moments of greatest weakness, your tragedies, your brokenness, and say, I'm going to make something good out of this. He causes all things to work together for the good of God and those who are called according to his purpose. And that is still true today. 
Maybe God is calling you to be a part of that. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you, Father, first of all, thank you that you saw our needs. You saw our brokenness. You saw our sin and the helpless state that humanity found itself in. But not just humanity as a whole. You saw my sin. And you saw my brokenness. And you found a way, you made a way for that to be repaired. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for my sins. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins and the hope that I have today. Lord, I pray that you'd help me every day to walk in celebration of that. Thank you for the people who have been a part of my life, who have left ripples in my life simply by showing compassion and grace. Father, I believe today that those people were placed there by you at just the right time to do the right thing. I pray today that you would help me to do the same thing. Help me to be one who leaves ripples in the lives of others, not just so they can say, look what Pastor Mike did, but that they can say, look what Jesus did through Pastor Mike or through Jimmy or through whomever else in this room is serving you. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to leave ripples in the lives of others simply by seeing the need and doing something about it. Father, I pray that this community would be changed simply because we became the hands and feet of Jesus. Use us. Use us to do what we could not. Lord, we place our lives in your hands, recognizing you can do far more with it than we could ever do. Right now, use us to change the lives of others. Some of us, we become so self-consumed that we no longer are involved with leaving ripples in the lives of others. And right now, I pray that you would change that. Lord, I pray that you would place such a burden on us that we would not be able to rest without knowing that we have made a difference in the lives of other people, not just 20 years ago, but today. Use us to change this world. And we'll give you praise for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is a blessing to be able to worship with you, but more than that, it is a blessing to serve the Lord alongside you. Let's go out and let's change the world for Christ. Thank you for being with us today.